0: Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Coming up first, it's notable author Jan Karen of the Mitford series, who has compiled a book of prayers and quotes from the main character, Father Tim. Also, this podcast is being released on the weekend Prayer to Election Day 2018. Jason Yates of My Faith Votes offers some principles related to the importance of Christians' voting and what can be considered. And she began to share videos online and made people laugh. Now Carol Ann Miljavec has written a book in which she discusses troubles of her childhood, how she was affected, and how God has transformed her life. Hear a portion of her story ahead. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Chantel Brewer, a wife and mom who's in ministry. She encourages mothers to see their own home as a mission field. Next, he's an attorney who has written a number of fiction books, some of which have been made into movies. In his latest book, Robert Whitlow deals with the concept of what it means to be chosen and explores some matters related to the nation of Israel. Finally, it's Tammy Souter of Samaritan's Purse with a report from the Florida Panhandle where the International Relief Ministry is reaching out to victims of Hurricane Michael. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Jan Caron is the well-known author of the Mitford series, which is centered around the people of a small town, including an Episcopal priest, Father Tim. Throughout the Mitford books, there have been numerous quotes and prayers from the rector, and she has compiled a number of them in a book entitled, Bathed in Prayer, Father Tim's Prayers, Sermons, and Reflections from the Mitford series this is Jan Karen now
1: it was not my idea typically (laughs) uh, I go to the publisher and I've got plenty of ideas but the this was my readers idea many many people over the years have begged literally for a book that um, puts between uh, two covers a a compilation of all of his prayers and inner thoughts about his faith and his favorite quotes about faith and so forth. Uh, So they didn't have to go thumbing through 14 novels. (laughs) Uh, They just wanted it there in their hand, and now they have it. And in fact, I have dedicated the book to my readers My readers are faithful, they're enthusiastic, they've been a wonderful support to me. I couldn't have done it without them. Actually, the writer and the uh, reader uh, have a kind of dance. You know, sometimes it's a tango, sometimes it's a waltz. Uh, But I've got to have the reader to apply their imagination to my work. Uh, We can't do it singly, and so I really appreciate everyone who reads and gets my work.
0: Well, as we conclude, I understand that also in this Bathed in Prayer book, there's an essay you've written about your own faith journey and also how the Mitford novels have impacted you. Give us just mm-hmm. a bit of a taste about what you said about the, the whole Mitford journey, as we might say.
1: Well, I've learned a lot from Father Tim. If I had not written these novels, I I don't believe that my faith would have grown in just this way. I, I would hope that my faith would grow over time, but in just this way, it's it's been different because Father Tim was in a sense, sort of directing the avenue of my faith. He was enlarging my faith. You know, for example, to get up in the pulpit and preach a sermon, I'm not a preacher, Uh, that would be terrifying, that you really had upon your shoulders that burden to engage an audience in the truth about God. Well, but he does it because that's what he does. Well, who's going to write the sermon? Uh, it, It would be me. Uh, That was very uh, fulfilling, and it stretched me. It stretched me a lot. I mean, 14 novels have stretched me, period, over such a long time, uh, nearly a quarter of a century. I have been writing and living in Midford. Uh, So, I'm very privileged to have written this series, uh, privileged to have, in many ways, uh, stood in his pulpit and tried to deliver the truth uh, to my readers. He talks about in one of his sermons, something I'm fond of, about how God is as near as our very breath. Think how near our breath is, and that is the nearness of God to us at all times. And all we have to do is speak to him. He knows anyway exactly what we need, exactly what we want, but when we ask him for his guidance and his direction, then that's when life changes, as it did for me many years ago.
0: Jan Karen here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website MitfordBooks.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's the CEO of My Faith Votes, Jason Yates. In our conversation, he provided encouragement for Christian participation in the upcoming midterm elections, identified issues, and shared about resources available from the My Faith Votes website. From that conversation, this is Jason Yates now.
2: In presidential elections, about 25 million Christians who are registered to vote typically have not voted and we predict that you know and we're trying to change this number but at the beginning of the year we predicted 50 million christians this year in the midterms would not show up at the polls so it is incredibly important so why why should they well i refer a lot to a verse in galatians that says as we have opportunity let us do good to everyone voting in my in my opinion is an opportunity that we have to do good. Our faith is good because we serve a good God. He is the definition of good. And it's our relationship with him that we then can personify that goodness in our community, in our culture. And so let's bring that goodness forward, bring the influence of it. And uh, one way we can bring that and influence our community is through our votes. It's an important opportunity that we have.
0: Well, Jason, let's talk about some of the issues that people, that Christians can take into consideration leading up to Election Day. What do you feel are the most important issues to be considered on November 6th?
2: Well, um, you know, always at the top of the list, Bob, are the issues of life, and religious freedom, um, you know, life and we, we are absolutely concerned about abortion, but it's, it's sanctity and dignity of all life. And so we need to have policies and laws that, that support those values. So at the top of the list is, is that, um, I think there's a growing pressure against, um, Religious freedom and our ability to live out the values of our faith in our businesses, in our schools, and so religious freedom is a really key issue um, that we need to be a paying attention, paying attention to, and standing for. And I'll tell you what: mayors, governors, they uh, uh, they assign people to committees, unelected people to committees that establish policies that affect religious freedom every single day. And it's incredibly important to think about that as we're thinking about mayors and executives in in cities and states across the nation. Um, and of course, there's all kinds of other issues around immigration and, um, uh, and others that are incredibly important. So uh, those, I think, are things that people need to think through. We provide a lot of resources on our website that help people think about those issues from a biblical worldview. And so I would encourage everyone to understand those issues, have a filter from a biblical worldview of how they should think about those, and then get to know what, how the people on their ballot – what they stand for when it comes to those issues so that they can vote informed um, and make a good biblical choice.
0: Jason Yates here on The Intersection. The organization's website is myfaithvotes.org. Next up on this edition of the podcast, it's Carol Ann Miljavik with millions of video views and a significant social media presence. In our conversation, she shared about God's work in her life, even through negative circumstances, as well as the importance of laughter and humor. She's written a book called Oddly Enough, Standing Out When the World Begs You to Fit In. From that conversation, this is Carol Ann Miljavik.
3: I don't think anybody would have imagined me to, you know, go out, graduate, and eventually become, you know, someone who spoke often about faith or um, wrote a faith-based book or anything like that. Um, because I had to go through quite, quite some ups and downs, but I think that's what's so awesome uh, is about the story is knowing that it is those down times and it is those struggles and it is those moments where you're wandering around, not really knowing what you're going to do with yourself or where your life's going to go, that in the future is really going to be exactly what God can use to craft a story that can only be told by you to impact a. Specific group of people who resonate with where you come from. So um, it's been a crazy ride. It was actually, I got married. Uh, fast forward years later, we moved up to Missouri. And I was kind of just doing the mom wife thing, staying at home, feeling like I had more to give, but not knowing exactly what that was or how it was going to happen. Um, I had kind of lost that gift of laughter that was so important to me my entire life. And I think a lot of uh, moms, wives, women can relate to getting so caught up in trying to take care of everyone around you that you kind of just go into zombie mode where the days come and go and start over again, and you're not really sure what you're doing with yourself. And I wasn't really very happy. And um, I had at the time, I had two daughters already, I have three daughters, Whoop whoop. (laughs) And um, I was pregnant with my third, and I got a phone call from my mom that my sister, who still lives, my whole family still lives in Alabama, but my sister's youngest daughter had just turned six and had been diagnosed with cancer. And um, so she was rushed to St. Jude, and it was really that moment that kind of, that was my uh, awakening, where I was really, uh, it was revealed to me how short life is and how important it is to be who you are and, and embrace uh, all the things that make you who you are and and more specifically who you are in Christ. And, um, you know, I went and I visited her at St. Jude. I witnessed all the children there, what they were going through, the families, what they were going through. And then obviously I got a first uh, row look at what our family was going through in the process of everything. And I came back home from visiting her and I was sitting in my car And I was sobbing uncontrollably. All the grief kind of hit me at once. And I wasn't really looking for God. I wasn't praying. Um, I was just sad. And I had this moment where uh, I felt peace wash over me and I felt love. And, you know, there was no question about it. I just knew immediately exactly who that was and who it always was. You know, I always knew he was there. I just denied, denied, denied. And uh, my rebellious heart just was not ready yet to to give in and and live for him until someone I loved more than myself was suffering in a way that I had no control over. And I realized that, you know, life isn't about me. It's about what I leave behind when I go. And we never know when we're going to go. We never know how or when it's going to happen. So what we do have is uh, the chance and the ability to really grow and embrace who we are and and let those gifts God crafted us with be uh, made stronger in every experience we have, and then pour that out all over everyone else into the world. So I made it my mission because I I felt very strongly that he wanted me to speak because the word speak just kept coming up into my heart. And um, so I trusted that. I didn't know how it was going to happen. I was kind of terrified because speaking is scary. And um, I told everyone, and I just walked in faith for about a year. Nothing happened. And um, throughout that year, I would make funny videos to make my uh, niece smile. That was kind of the, my role in our family was to be goofy and silly, especially in hard times and kind of lighten up the moon. And I kind of just thought I need to start being who the, I need to be this person all the time. You know, I need to get my, my goofy back and I need to be silly because that's part of what God gave me is ability to make people laugh. And uh, so she really kind of encouraged me to really just let go of those chains and be free to be uh, silly. And I feel like laughter is so important to peace and joy. And it's I feel like laughter is absolutely a gift from God. And I feel like that's why it's under attack. And a lot of people are losing that sense of humor that we so desperately need.
0: Carol Ann Miljavik here on The Intersection. Her website address is C.A. Miljavik. That's M-I-L-J-A-V-A-C dot com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info. When you visit, you'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes on a weekly basis. The Intersection is also available through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you go to faithradio.org. You can also access the Meeting House homepage through faithradio.org. Also, when you visit the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs. One is the three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is the front room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page, and you can get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Chantel Brewer has written the book, Missionary Mom, Embracing the Mission Field Right Under Your Roof. She discussed the concept of regarding one's children as a mission field. Here now from that conversation is Chantel Brewer.
4: You know, I think some of it is just going right to God in in the beginning and saying, Lord, I need you to give me new eyes for this whole thing. Especially, you know, I, I know for me, when my kids were small, I really struggled and then even, I know there's, there's parents who prefer different ages of their children. They just, you know, they relate to them a little bit better at, at different ages and stages. And so if you find yourself in that tough one or just even from the beginning of parenting, just going to God and saying, I really need you to see, help me see this as a calling and not something where I'm feeling uh, stuck. And he's so faithful to do that. He really pointed out to me that I was viewing my call as a mom as uh, I was I was I don't know I think I just complained about it a lot I everyone would say how are you how are you feeling I'm tired these kids these kids and I was looking for more, more mom's nights out than mom nights in which I mean we prayed forever for children you know I mean it was it was completely understood that we were going to be parents and that was always a goal that we had and a desire that we had and When I was young, I wanted 10 kids and God saw fit that I only needed five right now, which is totally fine by me. But, you know, we we have the ability to go to God and ask him to be the one to create the shift. And then we focus on abiding in him. And the more that we do that, the more we are in his word, the more we begin to see opportunities around us. And that's the I think that's the perfect word is the opportunity. We change our thinking from well, we've got this job to do, or I have these responsibilities to do, to, and I have this opportunity to connect my children directly to God. Mm. So they don't think that they need to come to me in order to have a relationship with him. And they don't have to wait to, at, to, any, to be any certain age in order to go out and start doing the work that he has for them right now. Those are the kids that I want to raise, those world changers, those Esthers and Davids that were kids with these crazy, huge faiths, and they went right to God. But you know, all, all so many examples in the Bible of these kids that went right to God, and that's those are the kind of kids that that I want to be um, raising.
0: Well, I want you to address the concept of a martyr mom. What kind of mm-hmm. contributes to that, and and how does a, a mom kind of break free from that mindset?
4: You know, I think a hundred percent it is the enemy that comes in and tries to clarify things that we already. Maybe think about ourselves. We get caught up where we are. Um, we we decide that we are martyrs, you know, because we everything is so. It is a difficult job. It is a very big job being a parent, not just a mom, but a parent. And you are you're needing to literally keep these kids alive for a while, and then you are trying to help them to function in a society where you don't always get to stand right next to them the entire time. And then pretty soon they launch and, you know, they go out and, and they're telling people what their last name is. And sometimes you're like, no, no,
3: <laughs> no, no, don't mention
4: my name. But you, you, want them, you want them to be successful. You want them to do well and you want them to out, be out making a difference for God is our, you know, our ultimate goal. And so I think that if we can, if we can shift our thinking to, you know, know that this is going to be, it is going to take a lot from us. But it really isn't going to kill us. I mean, most likely we're not going to die because we are acting as a mother. You know, we're we're working in that role as a mother. But instead, that we take the tough stuff to Jesus and leave it at the cross. That we're not trying to shoulder these burdens or making it way more difficult than God ever meant it to be. And there's there's just such a conversation, I think, that we have... So often between, I think just between humans, but a lot of times between moms where we're comparing our lives to another mom's life. And, you know, well, how come she gets to stay home and I have to go to work or, or vice versa? Why do I have to stay home when I really want to go to work? And, you know, but we decided it, it's right for me to stay home, but I'm not really good at it. Or, you know, any of those things, we, we put this guilt in place, rather than really embracing where God has us. If you are called to work, go and work and then know that God's going to cover a lot of things because that's a big deal. You don't become a part-time mom just because you're working full time. And then vice versa, you know, if you're home, be all in when you're home because that is where God has called you. You don't need to feel guilty that you're not bringing money, you know, some kind of financial contribution into the home. God is going to provide. He just provides. He's, he's an amazing, amazing provider, not just with money, but just with the resources that we need with the people Um, with the
0: team that we need. Chantel Brewer here on The Intersection. Her website address is Chantel, S-H-O-N-T-E-L-L, Brewer.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's attorney and author Robert Whitlow. In our recent conversation, he discussed the plot and some of the thematic material in his latest novel entitled Chosen People, in which the main character is an Arab Christian who lived in Israel prior to moving to the U.S., from that recent conversation, this is Robert Whitlow.
5: Well, it's been something that I've really um, wanted to do, really for uh, over ten years, probably ten or twelve years, and um, you know, kind of every time it would be time to start a new book, I'd kind of wonder, okay, is it is now the the place to to write a book that has something to do with Israel and. Uh, it was kind of a no uh up until you know when i when I'm, it was time to do the book that to do chosen people and at that point I just said now's the time to write this book and so i've I've not had any experience like that in all my writing where I've been holding and holding and waiting and waiting and then was finally able to uh to move forward and write a write a story about something that really had been percolating the whole the concept of a book not necessarily the specific plot of the book but the concept of doing about a book like this had really been percolating inside me for a long long time and i'm really glad and excited (laughs) that i finally got an opportunity to do it
0: so set this book up for us what's the the story or at least the the initial plot of the book
5: Right. the 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 main character in the story is it's going to take a bit to to describe this person. It's a woman. She is an Arab, Israeli, Christian attorney. Okay, and uh, so that's a. I, I felt like that's kind of an interesting combination. Uh, I mean, from the very beginning, and she's working uh, in the novel. She is. Um, working in atlanta in the united states in a law firm handling international uh transactions for them because there's you know more and more international business is taking place with u.s companies in israel and other countries in the uh, in the middle east especially with israel in the, the technology area so um she is then um brought into uh something quite outside her comfort zone which involves uh, a lawsuit or an investigation uh, under the U.S. anti-terrorism laws. And um, what happened was there was a a stabbing incident in Jerusalem in which, tragically, a a young mother uh, was killed protecting her little girl. And uh, they were Americans, and the husband, the widower, is now seeking to um, find somebody responsible under the U.S. Terror- anti-terrorism laws, which allow for uh, lawsuits against terrorist groups um, in order to um, try to uh, hit them sometimes where, the, where you can hit them the best, which is in their pocketbook. So she's brought into this case by a young Jewish lawyer uh, in Atlanta, and so kind of off they go on this investigation.
0: If you had to name the main takeaways that you would want readers to experience from this book, what would you say?
5: I think it would be uh, about the scope of what it means to be a chosen person. Who are the chosen people? Uh, and how do the chosen people, you know, from whatever level and manner of, of, of the activity of God in setting it up, how do they relate to one another? Um, how does does this just be revealed in the life of people who are just walking through a a very stressful, difficult situation? And uh, as in all my books, I really come from the perspective that God is real and wants to interact with people across the whole scope of life, not just in a compartmentalized religious way, but he wants to be intimately involved with us in a relational uh, aspect, you know, at all times. and, So all that's going on with this book and the places where it happens and the people who are involved gave me just a tremendous opportunity to do that, to do what is really at the heart of my, my desire as a writer. So that would be, it's that relationship and what that looks like in, in some ways and with different ways with the, with the various characters.
0: Robert Whitlow here on The Intersection. His website address is robertwhitlow.com. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Tammy Souter, acting program manager for the Response of Samaritan's Purse, based in Wewahitchka, Florida, serving Mexico Beach, Port St. Joe, and surrounding areas. In our conversation, she discussed how the organization has been involved in providing help in the name of Christ to those who have experienced devastation after Hurricane Michael. Here now is Tammy Souter.
6: As you're probably aware, I mean, we have already have four sites set up, in uh, uh, three in North Carolina and one in South Carolina. And so I'm actually from the Calgary office, and uh, we just phoned them and said, hey, we're here to support you, uh, whatever you need with staff or vehicles or whatever. And so we started those discussions early, um, and uh, there, I headed down from um, our Canadian office um, on Saturday, and these guys had already had some guys on the ground here right after the storm hit Uh, going through the ditches, and they were able to meet up with uh, the pastor at the First Baptist Church here. Uh, You know, God just sets those appointments Mm. in order, and uh, we just showed up at the church. We're looking for the pastor and who happens to walk across the street but that pastor that we were looking for. Um, So those divine appointments we got set up here and, um, you know, really just trying to to figure out what that's going to look like and what the scope of work is going to be as this is so far spread.
0: And, uh, of course, Mexico Beach is where the storm was centered, where it made landfall, of course, affecting so Mm -hmm. many other cities there along the Gulf Coast. What did you find to be some of the principal needs as the Samaritan's Purse team got up and running there?
6: Yeah, so uh, it worked out really well. Wheel is kind of our central base, and it takes about a half an hour to go from Port St. Joe from here as well as Mexico Beach. And so... um, you know, we, we um, this is kind of our main staging area. And so the needs around Weewa uh, are a lot of tree work, tarp work, you know, things like that. Um, and it's just so widespread and trees just engulfing homes. But as you go out to the Port St. Joe area, the Mexico Beach area, uh, just as devastating, but it looks a little bit different because there was water involved in that. And so when you, um, you, know, you get those surges that are 12, 14, 16 feet, uh, it just causes a lot of damage. And so there's a lot more mud out work and tarping that needs to happen in those areas. But uh, again, just incredible amounts of work that needs to be done in all these areas.
0: Well, and when you see some of the pictures in that area and Mexico Beach, what I have seen is just an area that experienced so much destruction. What is the state Mm -hmm. of mind of the residents there? Are are there very many homes that are even inhabitable there and are the residents maybe even starting to come Mm -hmm. back?
6: They are starting to come back and there's lots that are not. They've lost their whole homes. Uh, we were in a home the other day where, um, you know, the home shifted a block and a half down the street. Um, and, you know, part of the home was was demolished on one side of the bedroom and stuff like that. But then you go to the living room and there was a of cabinet still standing there with the stemware and everything still standing perfectly and not broken. And so it, it's just amazing how things work there. And homeowners are really trying to get in. They're trying to get it cleaned up.
0: Well, Tammy, let's talk about the... Not only the physical relief that Samaritan's Purse brings, but I understand in partnership with the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team, there is yes. spiritual ministry that is taking place. So comment, if you would, on that partnership and how it's operating there along the Gulf Coast.
4: Yeah,
6: so obviously when uh, when Samaritan's Purse deploys, our Billy Graham and chaplains deploy with us, uh, it is just such a great partnership, and we work together as a team and a family here. And uh, we really wanna make sure that, you know, as we take care uh, on the Samaritan's Purse side, as we're taking care of the physical needs of a person, that we're just not leaving them hanging with not knowing how to move forward. And that is really where our chaplains come in and they take care of those emotional and spiritual needs of the homeowners. And uh, they visit us on site. They um, can sit down and and talk with the homeowners as things are happening. It's big changes in their life, and and it can be very devastating for them and paralyzing. And so they can help those homeowners walk through that, uh, pray with them, and just encourage them. They're all really highly trained, schism trained, grief trained, and so they just do a fantastic job walking alongside us. as as we take care of those physical needs.
0: Tammy Souter here on The Intersection. You can learn more about getting involved by going to samaritanspurse.org. Also, if you wish to volunteer, you can visit spvolunteer.org. Well, we are nearing the end of this edition of The Intersection podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or the programming section at faithradio.org. Just click on the link to The Meeting House you'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you could listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes on a weekly basis. And you can go to faithradio.org and find out about downloading the Faith Radio app through which you can get The Intersection podcast. Also through the Meeting House homepage, You can get connected to two blogs. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, you can get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.